0: We'll
1: Hi everybody, it's Doc from the John Pod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress take a few minutes and check it out you'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests links to the podcast and social media accounts ways to support the pod, how to get in touch and our entire back catalog is there including episode summaries missed these sections of the JMT episodes? you can find them there missed a Triple Crowner episode? yep, that's there too World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barclay Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Because in the end, you won't remember the times you spent in the office or mowing your lawn climb that goddamn mountain jack kerouac the picnic the picnic really the title of this weekend's adventure mike was quickly realizing was quite a misnomer as he continued his swim across jenny lake an alpine lake in the shadow of the grand teton in wyoming mike was most definitely not having a picnic and this was just the second of six legs of what was ironically named the picnic all Mike and his buddy Jason had to do was bike 23 miles from town to Jenny Lake, swim one and a half miles across the lake, summit the Grand Teton, and then do the same thing in reverse to get back to town. As he labored through the frigid waters, Mike wondered, just what had he gotten himself into? I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Meerpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the
0: pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man,
1: Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place, for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back for another episode of the John Freakin' Muir Pod. For those of you who are new to the pod, I'm Doc and I'll be your trail guide. Before we get too far down the trail, I want to give you a quick update on listenership. We now have people tuning in from 34 countries, 45 states, and the District of Columbia. A few episodes ago, I said I was going to, de- going to determine which of the states were still not tuning in, and I've done that finally. Listen closely, and if you have any relatives or friends in any of these states, get them to tune into the pod. We still don't have any listeners in Delaware, Maine, Rhode Island, Wyoming, and Alabama. I wonder if this week's guest has any poll or contacts in those states that might be able to help us out. And speaking of our guest, it's my pleasure to introduce to our listeners, Mike Chambers. And I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Mike is a mountain athlete, a creative producer, and a social entrepreneur. He is currently the executive producer and host of Beat Monday on outside TV. He's also had articles published in the New York Times, the Boston Globe, and Men's Journal. He's had a couple of expeditions to Everest And he's co-founded a couple of nonprofits to make an impact on the educational systems in Kenya and Haiti. Welcome to the pod, Mike.
0: Hey, thanks so much for having me, Doc. Really appreciate it.
1: So I want to give you a little heads up on a a regular feature we have here on the pod. It's called the Pro Tip Insight of the the Week. Sorry, Pro Tip Insight of the Week. And what that's all about is that uh, at the end of the episode, I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to ask you to share with our listeners your pro tip insight of the week. And it has to be based on something we talked about. It has to arise from the natural flow of conversation between you and me during the episode. Something that our like listeners that. Can, can benefit from, uh, learn from. It could be a, you know, a piece of advice. It could be a, a philosophy, a personal philosophy, uh, or just a, you know, a, a pro tip. So don't be surprised when I turn to you at the end of the episode on that.
0: All right. All right. Sounds good.
1: All right. And so, by the way,
0: I'm, uh, I'm currently
1: looking across the river to Rhode Island, so I'm sure I can drum up a few listeners over there for you. Perfect. That's outstanding. So I had previously mentioned Beat Monday and Outside TV. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you end up in, in that gig?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Beat Monday is a show, uh, as you mentioned, on Outside TV. Uh, we've done two seasons of it now, and uh, we've got a third one. That was lined up for this summer, but uh, we're looking like we may end up uh, producing it this fall. We'll see kind of things are uh, up in the air. But basically, the whole concept is we have 64 hours uh, to go and knock off these epic adventures uh, all over the world or all over the country. And uh, the idea really just came from a good college buddy of mine and I, Jason. And, uh, you know, we were both sort of working these jobs uh, I was running my nonprofit down in Haiti. He was working uh, in the outdoor adventure tech space. And we realized that, like, we weren't really getting after it as much anymore. And we were, we were kind of always allowing time to, you know, be an excuse for wh- why we couldn't go and do some of these these great adventures. And uh, we just kind of linked up one weekend and decided that we were going to try and climb Rainier in a true weekend, climb and ski Rainier in a true weekend uh myself coming from Boston and Jason coming from Denver. And uh we went out, we met in in Seattle and we went out and had an incredible weekend. We we climbed and skied the Emmons Glacier uh in a day on Rainier and and I made it back in time for work. Uh, uh at nine AM on Monday morning I had a meeting at nine thirty, a kind of important meeting on nine at nine thirty. And uh and you know I was like washing up in the airport bathroom before the meeting and I was so tired and and uh we definitely uh definitely cut it really close on that one. But it was really it was just a really um it was a really fun trip. It was a really memorable trip for both of us. And I think part of it was, you know, the time component the the time element of it just sort of added this whole other component to the adventure. It was kind of like this, you know, little amazing race feeling while we were going and doing something we loved. And and um And it also just sort of opened our eyes to this, you know, like you got a lot of time in in a weekend, you know, you, you, if you really, uh, if you really get creative and you really put your mind to it, you you can get a lot accomplished in that 64 hour time period between nine, you know, 5.00 PM on Friday and 9.00 AM on Monday. So I don't know, we thought the format would be good for some sort of series. And, and, um, you know, we, we went and did a couple more, just the two of us without filming it. And then, you know, we pulled together a a little team to, to make a series out of it.
1: And did, did you, how did it end up on outside TV? I mean, did you have connections there? Did you have to pitch? pitch no. Them? How did that work? No.
0: Uh, we, you know, just by nature of sort of, uh, you know, doing things in the outdoors for many years and, and, and being a climber and a, and a skier and a, and a, and a, uh, and a runner, you know, i I'd made a lot of connections in the production world and, and, um, Ah uh, tapped on some friends who I knew I had just worked on a shoot with out in in france and and uh, asked if they'd help us make a sizzle reel. And we kind of just learned the process uh, of you know what it what it took to get a show off the ground. and it uh, it took a really long time. Um, you know we were we, we kind of thought we were close several times with various networks and and uh, ultimately outside TV, it was just the it was just the right fit. Um, but we really had to piece it all together ourselves. So, you know, we, like I said, like I said, you know, film, this is a reel. And then we went out and, and we found sponsors and then we went out and then we found the network and, and it was kind of a, uh, tricky at first. And then once you sort of get a little bit of a proof of concept with a couple episodes, then, um, you know, it, it, we, we got really lucky. We have this sort of dedicated fan base of, of people who are, uh, you know, just excited about getting after it and, uh, who are just, you know, doing their best to keep their passions alive. And, and they don't have to be the best athletes. They don't have to be the fastest, the strongest. They're just, you know, making sure that they don't let time get in the way of,
1: of them getting outside. Yeah. Now, now both you and Jason are family men, right? You've got uh, young kids, you're married. Yep. So we both have, we both
0: have two young kids. Um, I have two under two, uh, Max and Liv, and Jason has uh, uh, Avery, who's turning four, I think this this coming week, and and uh, and his new baby Andy. Uh, she's probably five months now, so we're uh, we're we're in it for sure. Uh, <laughs> we're we're definitely uh, walking the walk. We're we're, we're we've got it kind of coming from all angles, and yeah, I mean, one of the it, it, it's tricky it's tricky taking off for longer periods of time. I think both Jason and I, prior to having kids, you know, we had a lot of flexibility to go off on these multi-week expeditions or, you know, take trips at a drop of a hat without any planning. Um, And that time commitment is getting more and more challenging and not just that, but I think both of us to a certain extent, feel that we don't really want to necessarily be away from our kids for that long. You know, the, the, the trips to the Himalaya are taking months, sometimes many months and, 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 you know, expeditions like this can be really, can be, uh, you know, really time consuming processes even before and afterwards. So, so it's, it's a, it's a really nice format for guys who have families who want to still try and go and, um, have some incredibly memorable adventures, you know, and, 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 uh, and, or girls who, want to just you know get after it and leave leave the kids with dads for a little while
1: yeah it sounds like a pretty good setup you know hey, hey honey I know I know there's a lot going on this weekend but you know I've got to it, it's work I've got to climb uh, Shasta and Whitney this weekend so <laughs> it is work it is work and that, it's funny you mentioned that I mean what
0: it's definitely a lot of fun the, the filming of the series though is definitely an involved process it's not just you know Mike and Jason go have fun and the in the film crew does their best to hang on you know, we're very much so involved in the filming. Um, We have to, we're self-filming a lot of it. And we also have uh, just, it's just a constant, you know, uh, logistic, you know, it's just a constant like logistic headache in terms of trying to get, you know, get get the film crew in the right place or make sure we're getting the shot in the right place. So, you know, in some cases we'll be running, the same section over and over again after we've already been on our feet for, you know, 14 hours or, um, you know, it's, it, it it's tricky. So it's definitely, uh, it's definitely not, you know, just pure adventure, but it is, I think the uh, you know, just like I said, the time component added an element to it, figuring out the logistics around filming ads, another fun element to the, to the trip. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a, a
1: good setup. Nice. Hey, let's back up a little bit and talk about how you ended up in this profession. Where, what was your, uh, your upbringing? I find it fascinating to see how people grow up and, uh, through one way or another decisions are made and they end up in this adventure lifestyle. How did that yeah. work for you? Yeah.
0: I mean, uh, you know, I grew up in new England, uh, my folks were big skiers uh my dad was uh, a waterman he you know he did a lot of stuff on the ocean uh whether it was fishing or diving or you know all sorts of stuff and um and from a young age like my folks just had us you know outside quite often um they both also worked really hard you know my mom was a dentist my dad uh you know never went to college came here from canada back in in the seventies and, and started a business in the fishing industry. Um, you know, and they just, they were both really hard workers and, and, uh, but when it came time to get outside, they, they really liked to play. So, um, I went to high school up in New Hampshire in the white mountains where, uh, I played traditional sports. I played football and lacrosse and, and, um, my senior year of, of high school, I had a, a pretty serious injury. Uh, I fractured a disc in my neck. Uh, playing football and that sort of uh washed out any hopes to play any sort of contact sports in college and here I was like uh you know my whole identity was wrapped up kind of in 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 sports and team sports and I was going off to college up at St. Lawrence in upstate New York uh sort of without feeling pretty listless you know I, I I didn't really know what direction to go in and and it was around that time that I kind of went back to the outdoors and, and started to get more into running and started to get more into climbing and, 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 um, and, uh, started to do some of these trips. And, you know, I never, I never really envisioned myself going in the direction of, of, uh, being a, uh, you know, mountain athlete, a sponsored mountain athlete, or, you know, uh, or having a TV show. I was actually for a while there, uh, pretty heavily involved or pretty I had a d- strong desire to get involved in public service in some capacity I um I always sort of had this you know I've always sort of had this to this sort of mentality of wanting to stick up for the for the little guy and and um uh, I went I went down to DC when I was a junior in high in college and spent a year down there uh interning for a congressman and Kind of saw the inner workings of of Washington D.C. and and uh, really felt like it wasn't not just not only not the right place for me, but just wasn't the best place to get things done. You know, if I really wanted to actually make things happen, mm-hmm. um, I wanted I, I you know I, I thought it'd be smarter for me to take a different route um, and 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 maybe go the nonprofit route. And so uh, that's kind of what I did. I, I you know I I. Uh, continue to do these little trips and these expeditions and races and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, uh, but as soon as I graduated from college, met up with, uh, my now wife who, um, had, w- had just started an organization in Kenya called flying kites global. And she was, you know, 20 something years old, 22 maybe, uh, and was the legal guardian of, six kids in Kenya and had a rented out a small farmhouse in, in about an hour and a half North of Nairobi. And I just thought, I just thought, you know, this chick is the coolest. She's got, <laughs> you know, she's got it. She is like, got it figured out. And I just need to hitch my wagon to her. And, um, and you know, the organization has since grown, uh, you know, we're, we're serving over 3000 kids now in, in, um, in, in rural Kenya uh we have a we have a school and a network of of public primary schools and teacher training academy and and uh and all sorts of things over there so anyhow the the sort of that part of my life continued and then on a parallel track um i continued to sort of push the envelope with uh with climbing and mountaineering and ultra running and and those sort of things and you know i started to do some some expeditions um, and around like 2000 twelve i i uh decided um, you know i I'd, I'd done a couple of expeditions down in South America in ecuador uh you know down in uh, on Aconcagua and and uh has, were was doing a lot of mountaineering in the winter up in New Hampshire and had been up Kilimanjaro at that point probably five or six times and and because I was doing some guiding there on the side and and uh decided I wanted to go over to everest and and uh see if I could give it a try and you know at that time I was 25 years old and Mm -hmm. you know in hindsight still pretty inexperienced uh in a lot of ways um but I was hungry and I knew like fitness wise I was strong I knew you know I had all the technical skills to be able to do it I just didn't have a ton of experience with uh just you know just just getting beat down on the mountain um but but I, I raised some money. I, I I you know worked really hard all fall and, and uh, winter to raise money from various sponsors, both locally. Uh, I was living in Massachusetts at the time, locally, and I got a few other sponsors. That's when I first made my my uh, uh, re- started my relationship with the the footwear brand Merrill, mm-hmm. and um, was able to fund that expedition and uh, got out there uh uh had a a uh, kind of a weird year that was you know I'll, that was the spring of 2013 when i finally got out there and um that was the year uh uh of the fight between Yuli Steck and and, uh, and this the fight with Yuli Steck and Simone Moreau and and the sherpa at camp 2 i was right in the middle of that uh that was kind of weird uh then i had a you know a, a teammate who uh who passed away uh, on the mountain. Uh, and you know, I was, I was kind of young and sort of dealing with, you know, I went from sort of this, like this passion I had to push myself in the mountains to this, like really just intense, uh, scene uh, over on Everest that I'd never experienced on any of the other mountains that I had climbed on. Um, and, Long story short, I opted for a, a, an early uh, weather window. I was really strong. I, I didn't, you know, I was, I was really, you know, climbing fast between the camps and and moving really well on the mountain. And I wanted to get off the mountain sooner mm-hmm. than later. It had just been a stressful season, and so I opted for an early w- weather window uh, to make our attempt, and uh, and um, got shut down by the weather. We we made it basically. Uh, about a thousand feet below the summit and uh we were just in really bad wind uh and rime ice, and it it just was it was horrible it was it was really scary and and uh clearly not a night suitable for summiting um Mm -hmm. safely anyway and it's just sort of one of those nights that you read about in all the classic books and and you just say to yourself there's you gotta turn around and uh and i turned around and and uh, had an opportunity to go back up, but I was pretty much mentally defeated at that point uh, i just i just didn't have the i didn 't have the uh, reserves of mental fortitude that i need to to pull myself back up you know back up that hill to get to the top when I was so close uh, uh, but anyhow.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you're yeah. dealing with some, some heavy issues there. I mean, you went there expecting one thing and then you found yourself in the middle of some other stuff, and, and tragedy struck. And, and now you're wrestling with this stuff on top of trying to climb the highest mountain in the world.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I, I think like, I, I chalk it up to myself being a little bit naive at the time to, in terms of like, what that world actually looks like. I mean, of course you read about it and you, and, 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 you, and I sort of knew going into it, but until you experience that sort of stuff firsthand, uh, it's, 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 you don't really know how you'll react. And, um, it was, it was sort of heavy for me. I think that it, and and I've since learned that it's pretty unique to Everest in terms of just this mentality around there. Um, it's not necessarily uh, all of mountaineering or all of high altitude mountaineering, but I just felt uh, there. It was just, it it was just, uh, it was just not, I wasn't psyched on the scene to quite honestly. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, having said that I came home that year and I was pretty disappointed that I just hadn't turned around and gone back up. Um, There was some other logistics in the way, you know, I would, I would have had to have, bought more oxygen bottles, which I didn't have. And there was some other stuff that I like sort of pointed to as an excuse, but really in the end, like I was, I was just defeated. Um, But anyways, I came back and I I immediately started sort of conjuring up ideas for how I could get myself back there the next year. And uh, one of the things that, one of the things that uh, has always been interesting to me was that, you know, we. Sports like mountaineering and, and, and uh, outdoor adventure sports are, are oftentimes, you know, uh, uh, my, minority populations are oftentimes very underrepresented in these sports. And you have all these, you know, people claiming these record, these speed records or these first ascents or these other things. And it's it just it's always kind of struck me. I've always just hated the idea that like the playing field wasn't necessarily level. So for instance, to get to Everest, it costs all this money or to get, you know, to get to, to do these climbing expeditions, it costs all this money. And like, sure, you know, climbers are not necessarily always the most wealthy and some people just dirt bag their way and find a way. But for the most part, like money is a significant barrier to entry for people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was working in Kenya at the time and there had never been a Kenyan to, to even go to Everest. And I thought to myself, let's uh, let's start the first campaign to get the, the, ke- the first Kenyan on the summit of the, the highest mountain in the world. And I teamed up with a British friend of mine, this guy, uh, Toby Story Pugh, and, and we uh, created this Expedition Everest campaign in Kenya. And we, um, we had this big selection climb on Mount Kenya, where we had hundreds of Kenyans of all shapes and sizes come out uh, to do sort of this interview. And uh, we ultimately selected a female uh, to join us um, uh, and she ultimately had to back out. Um, but uh, the, the the guy who ultimately was the, the final uh, selection was a guy by the name of Steve Obai. And uh, we raised all this money in Kenya. We had the president of Kenya send us off and we went back uh, to Everest with uh, an 800 pound safari tent for our base camp, for our base camp tent and all sorts of, you know, uh, support from, you know, the Kenyan community. It was really special. This was 2014 uh-huh. and I was excited because, you know, I was going back there, but like, it felt like it had a bigger purpose for me. You know what I mean? It was like, I could, I could, you know, be a part of making, uh, you know a dream of this guy's come true, and also just be a part of making history in kenya and and you know maybe making one small step towards uh changing this sort of narrative around uh, who the most badass mountaineers really are, because mm-hmm. you know we don't really necessarily know that yet, not until the level the playing fields level. so uh, we got out there and uh, i got I got really sick early in the climb or early in the in the season, uh bounced back, got up to base camp. Uh, got all set up, and then the day that we were, uh, literally the morning that we were um, meant to go up, uh, an avalanche broke free in the in the ice fall, and and that's the the incident that killed uh, sixteen Sherpa, um, and the season was closed. So that was uh, the last time I've been in Nepal, the last time I'd, I'd been on Everest, and. Uh, those two seasons combined, I, I just don't think I have any desire to go back quite yeah, honestly. That,
1: that is a lot. Wow. Yeah. And
0: then, you know, funnily enough, or not funny at all, actually, uh, Steve went back the following year. We we were able to get him back alone without us the following year. Mm-hmm. And that was the earthquake year. Uh, and he got stuck at, uh, he got stuck at camp two after that earthquake, uh, you know, essentially collapse the route in the ice fall, and also cause that catastrophic um, avalanche at base camp, and uh, and, so, and he he since hasn't gone back either. So, anyhow, yeah. So that was uh, that's my Everest, my Everest experience.
1: Wow, how much does it cost to get to Everest?
0: Depends on how you do it. Um, you know, if you go with a reputable guiding service uh, you're pro. I I guess you'll probably pay you can pay anywhere from probably 50 I guess to 100 uh, thousand dollars for an expedition but um, the way we did it was uh, we basically I had some good contacts uh, Nepali contacts who ran sort of logistic operations in Kathmandu for mountaineering and uh, we basically just went directly to them to have us navigate the permitting system and the liaison system, the, uh, making sure that we had, you know, uh, just the equipment on the mountain and that sort of stuff. Um, so we did, we just sort of cut out the guide service component and went directly. So they all, you know, all these guiding services will hire logistic operators on the ground. And so we just did that. Um, and that was considerably, you know, more affordable.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, you took your experiences on Everest and you actually, uh, wrote an article for, was it for the New York times?
0: Yeah, I did. I wrote an article, uh, for the New York times. Um, uh, that was, uh, just about the sort of unfair treatment of Sherp on the mountain. Uh, and, uh, and I also wrote one for the Boston globe as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I just, it, it just, uh, it really struck me coming back from that place how um how kind of crazy it is uh and a lot has changed since i think a lot of guide companies have started to hold themselves to a really high standard with respect to this but just crazy how much these guys are putting their lives at risk and how low they're compensated and uh also like how if something happens to them on their mountain on the mountain their family is really screwed uh, Quite honestly you know, uh, there's not insurance for their families. You know, maybe the guiding community will rally around trying to raise some money for them. But once the father who, once the man of, you know, the Sherpa dies, there's no source of income for that family. Uh, and a lot of these guys have, you know, four or five kids, you know, or, you know, a couple kids at least. And, and so it's, it's a really, uh, it's a really, it's a really interesting dynamic. There's a lot of stuff that the government government of Nepal should be doing to regulate it. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, we as a climbing community should be doing to to regulate it. Um, and uh, I think a lot's changed since 2013, but I think there's still more work we can do.
1: Okay hey let's take a quick break and when we come back we're going to hear about some specific adventures that uh, you have um, had with beat monday so stay tuned we'll be right back
0: i'm chris brindley jr a multi adventure athlete and storyteller when i'm not Hanging out on the side of mountains, I'm stoked to be listening to the John Freakin' Mirror
1: And welcome back. We're talking with Mike Chambers, and we're going to talk a little bit about his show Beat Monday on Outside TV. Uh, his partner in crime on the show is Jason Anton. How did you meet up with Jason. Oh, me and Big Daddy went to college together. I, <laughs> I, uh, I first met Jason
0: probably in, I'll say, 2005 or 2006. I was a freshman at Saint Lawrence University, and he was a senior, and he was a captain of the football team. He was at the time, I think, 270 pounds and probably three percent body fat. He looked like a like a just an absolute hunk of meat. Wow! He burst he burst into my um, burst into my dorm room like one of the first you know first days of I think it was like the second day of school or something and like started yelling at my roommate who was on the football team who was a little bit of a derelict um for not for not uh you know for being late to practice or I don't know something like that Mm -hmm. and uh and that was my first encounter with him and it wasn't really until after college um when he started getting more into the outdoors that, that we started the link up. And, uh, yeah, we, we started doing a bunch of adventures around the white mountains together and, and he moved out to Colorado, uh, shortly afterwards. And we sort of always just kind of kept in touch.
1: Yeah. There's a great dynamic between the two of you. It's a good, uh, back and forth that uh, is very entertaining. Yeah, it's good. Good banter. That's what it's all about. I think, like, if you can find a,
0: a partner to do these things with that that also makes you laugh and likes to have fun, you're you're well on your way to fit, having it figured out. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, how can how can folks uh, access Beat Monday? I, I found it on online on Outside TV. Is there? A, is
0: there yeah, a- that's the, probably the best way. Um, yeah. You can either go on YouTube and just Google uh, search Beat Monday, or or just go to the to the Outside TV website. Uh, it's also, you can stream it on their, on their streaming platforms that are available in a lot of the, you know, on a lot of the smart TVs and, and they just started airing them on the network as well. Um, so, so you can, you can I don't know what their schedule is. In fact, I don't even know how to find a TV schedule anymore. So I, it, it, they're on, they're on
1: the channel as well. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And so how long are the episodes? How much time do you have to set aside to sit down and watch an episode of Beat Monday?
0: so we have sort of two, uh, two forms of the show right now. We have our two formats to the, to the show. We have our, the original sort of long format, which is between 12 and 15 minutes. And then, uh, and that's sort of the main series. And then we have sort of this adventure short format, uh, which is like five to seven minutes or something like that. Um, and, uh, moving forward all of the new episodes are going to be in that longer format we we toyed with this sort of short format for the second season which just because it was less expensive to produce and we could do more we could sort of provide more content but in that sort of five minute window it's really hard to to develop a story um so we're we're kind of going back to that longer format for this upcoming season
1: Yeah, It's interesting to me that, that uh, the show itself is about how much you can pack into a weekend. And so, you know, the 64 hours uh, of adventure during a weekend and also, you know, the format of the show, though it is, it is a, you know, people would think it's a short format. I mean, 15 minutes is pretty short, uh, but there is a lot packed into that episode. I was thoroughly entertained watching uh, episode after episode.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, We try, we really try to pack the weekend, like, you know, it's not, some of them are more sort of objective based and we can kind of, we can kind of knock it off in in one day and then, you know, kind of go do something else fun. But we really try and pack the weekends or make the, we try to design the objective so that it will take us the full time. Like it'll be, it'll be, you know, kind of close for the most part. And then sometimes we just have fun, you know, sometimes we're, we're not always trying to, you know, go fast and hard. I mean, sometimes, you know, we did this, we did a bike rafting mission last year. Uh, you know, last summer we filmed six of these in a row and then we had a bunch of other adventures that we did and it was just nice to sort of have a weekend where we weren't, you know, pushing ourselves too hard. We were just kind of moving at the pace of the river, which is an interesting pace. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's 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 uh, definitely there's a lot of adventure that can be had in 64 hours.
1: Yeah, let's uh, let's give our listeners an idea of uh, some specifics on some of these adventures over a weekend. Let's talk about uh, the one episode I saw. It was called "The Picnic" in Jackson Hole.
0: Yep. So. Uh, the picnic is essentially just a, a, a fun name for a multi-sport mission in uh, in Jackson Hole that starts under the antler arches in the downtown Jackson Hole Square. Uh, you bike 20-something miles from Jackson Hole uh, to Jenny Lake, which is an alpine lake at the base of the Grand Teton. And then you swim, uh, I believe it's about a mile and a half uh, across the lake. Uh, and then uh, keep in mind, you're, you're carrying all the gear you need for every step of the adventure along the way here. So you're towing a dry bag with your gear for the next leg. And then after you complete the swim, you uh, run up the Grand Teton, uh, summit the Grand Teton, eat some food. Uh, uh, we brought some on our trip. We brought some uh, I think we brought some like, you know, fresh tomato and mozzarella and a baguette. And, and we tried to, you know, really picnic it up. And, Mm -hmm. and then, uh, and then when you're done eating your lunch, you go back and do the whole thing in reverse. So you run back down the grand, you uh, swim back across Jenny Lake, and then you bike back to town. So it's, uh, it's a full value adventure. Uh, it (laughs) it was, it was created by a, a Jackson hole local by the name of David Gonzalez, who, uh, who, uh, yeah. Just created it. You know, I, I've always, I've always sort of seen it as sort of the anti iron man. Um, you know, there aren't really any, there's not supposed to really be any rules. Uh, it's just supposed to be, you know, just a fun way to push yourself. It's really hard. Um, and, uh, but it's really fun. It's really cool. You know, I, I, despite growing up in new England, uh, and being a surfer most of my life am not a very good swimmer. Uh, and that, you know, uh, that was really hard for me. So the, you know, I'm a strong biker. I used to do some bike racing and, and, uh, you know, swimming across the lake the first time was, was no problem. Getting up the grand, uh, was not a problem at all, but, but uh, the swim back was really challenging for me. I think it was a combination of factors, but you know, I'd flown in from sea level, uh, and just the time up at altitude, just sort of just worked me, you know, my, my, you know, my metabolism was just sort of shot and, and I was starting to get cold. You know, anyone who does any of these big endurance events knows, you know, after 10 hours plus on your feet, your body starts to do some weird things. And so putting on that cold wetsuit after a long day of movement, uh, and swimming back across the lake was really hard for me. I, I really struggled with that, um, made it across, uh, but was pretty, uh, nearly hypothermic by the end of the, by the end of the swim. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really fun adventure. I think, uh, a lot of people have been going out and trying it. A lot of people have been reaching out to Jason and I about it, um, since then. And, and, you know, I, 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 I uh, Jay and I have sort of talked a little bit about this, but it's really important to mention that, you know, the, the, uh, the climb of the grand is not just a trail run. You, you, you definitely have to be comfortable uh, on, um, it's sort of, I'd call it semi-technical rock climbing. It's, uh, the, the Owen Spalding route is, is a five, four, I believe rock climb. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, most parties will be roped up for that. Uh, we did not rope up for it. We, we, you know, we, we sort of do a fair amount of scrambling and, and have, we're comfortable in that sort of terrain. Um, Um, but you know, if you do want to go take on the picnic, I just, just, just a heads up that it's definitely not a hike up the grand. There are some really, really, really high consequence sections like, like, you know, the, the notorious belly roll, which is, you know, like a five, two or a five, four move with, you know, 3000 feet of air beneath your heels. It's definitely, uh, definitely not, uh, you know, it's definitely, you want to just be dialed on that sort of stuff before you head up there. and then the other thing I'll mention is the route that we did in that uh, episode for the swim was not correct in terms of uh, what David had originally set out. And, and he's since reached out to us and asked us to uh, make that be known. Um, uh, so uh, if you're considering doing it, look up David Gonzalez on Instagram, shoot him a message and make sure you get the beta for the correct route. um, Because uh, we wouldn't want you to miss out on any of the, uh, on any of the fun in actually swimming across the lake. So was his route longer or shorter than yours? It was actually shorter uh, by about a half mile. um, But uh, it was uh, his, 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 His argument is that uh, his route goes across the lake and swimming uh, across the lake, you know, being in the middle of the lake um, sort of just adds to the intimidation factor of, of swimming, which, which I respect. And, you know, this is his thing after all. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it sounds like a rule to me that uh, is kind of the antithesis of the picnic, but whatever it is what it is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You did not look comfortable in the water. you you did not look like you were having fun when I was, when I was watching that episode. Yeah, man, that, that swim back was
0: really hard. It really pushed me. Um, you know, I, 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 and I think this is kind of another thing that we're looking to do more with the show is, is to just put ourselves in situations where we're not comfortable. I mean, I think Jay and I can go and do, you know, these big days on our feet in the mountains all day and, and, and really sort of be at home. Um, but like finding things like, you know, Alpine lake swimming that, uh, you know, that are, per- you know, perhaps out of our comfort zone, I think just makes more of an interesting story.
1: And yeah. it pushes us. So, yep. And your your dry bag kind of underperformed on that trip as well. Oh, it's filled with water.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, it didn't really matter be- because just having wet shoes and stuff, starting up the grand on a hot summer day, it was not a problem. It wasn't that big a deal. The bike home was kind of chilly. We, uh, I think we biked in, in a puffy jacket, mm-hmm. um, which is, it's gotta be, you gotta be pretty
1: cold to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got out of that, uh, second out of the lake on that second, second swim and you were, your teeth were chattering. You were, you were racked with, with, uh, you know, just shaking. And I uh, had to get, get that puffy jacket on for the that bike ride. Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, the only way I can describe it, this has happened to me before, after like, you know, big endurance runs. I think, like, after my first 50 mile run, I remember like laying on by the finish line, and my wife had like three, three sleeping bags on me, and I was like shaking. I was so cold. I think, just like, after you do a big endurance event like that, you know, you're, you, you, I, I don't, I think Jason calls them the endurance chills, but yeah, they, it feels like your whole world's ending. Uh, you, you just can't get it under control. And uh, I think that's kind of what was happening to me. I don't think I was properly hypothermic, but um
1: yeah, it was challenging for sure. So from the moment you left the antlers on the bikes to the moment you returned, how many, how long did that take? How many hours? Oh man, I, I
0: I don't remember. I don't recall off the top of my head. I want to say 14 or something like that. 14 hours. Um, we did have another, we did, uh, do something the next day as well that didn't make the final cut because it was just, uh, it it would have just been too scattered. Um, but, uh, you know, I think now that I remember, I think it was closer to 17 hours actually round trip. Um, with the filming added quite a bit of time at, at sections on the grand. Um, but we, the next day we went and did some downhill mountain biking over at Jackson hole mountain resort. And uh, both Jason and I are not good downhill mountain bikers at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jason had a really bad crash that we caught on camera. That would have just been uh great footage, but sadly it didn't make the final cut. Um, so I'll put that out. I'll put that out there at some point for people to see. Uh, Cause uh I I wasn't the only one who made a fool of myself that weekend.
1: <laughs> the outtakes are the best. Yeah, exactly. Hey, before I forget, I think uh your show is perfectly suited for something called the Barclays Marathons. Have you heard of that?
0: Yeah, yeah, we've heard of it. We uh I've never attempted to get in. I've got some some good friends who've who have tried to get into Barclays uh a couple times without success, but um yeah I, I i think it's a great it's a uh, probably a really hard race it's a uh really cool race um uh and if someday you know i can find a way to get in that that doesn't involve too much uh too much stress on my part i'll probably do it but um but yeah i, I, I from what i've heard it's a it's a tricky process and and
1: uh yeah yeah yeah, it looks pretty gnarly. You've got you've got sixty hours to do five five uh, loops on the course. So it's crazy. Fits right into that. Yeah, window. it's
0: crazy. I mean, the hardest part about that type of stuff is is just the navigating when you're exhausted. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really you know a lot of you know I've I've run for seventy two hours before. You know, I, I did Tahoe two hundred a few years ago, and and uh, and that's one thing because you can just sort of zone out and just put one foot in front of the other and you've got support and all that sort of stuff but when you're trying to do that same thing but also navigating and also off off trail pretty much the whole time it really just adds this different mental element to it it's really challenging
1: yeah and actually that's a perfect segue to the next episode I want to talk about your 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 uh, mountain hood trip where you uh, ascended Mount hood and then you skied down and then you circumnavigated the mountain on the, is it called the Timberline trail? Timberline. Yeah. Yeah. There was, a yeah, part- that, was, there, that was, there was a particular one my- line. There's a particular Yikes. line in that episode where you actually said that you woke up while you were walking.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, uh, that was probably one of the most fun trips it was our first episode we filmed that summer and uh it was the first episode we actually ever filmed and um and you know I, I think for jason and i a lot of we we really like to just kind of get creative with the types of missions we do so we we like to just kind of think about fun link-ups whether it's you know using multiple uh, different types of sports like the picnic or just sort of getting creative with the lines um we're more and more interested in adventures like that. Uh, you know, we're, we're uh, neither of us are really, you know, we'll, we, you know, we go for FKTs and stuff at times, but neither of us are really super motivated by trying to set records and stuff like that. We're, we're more just interested in how, in the experience and, and, uh, and, and sort of creating uh, unique challenges in the outdoors that, that are memorable. And I think the Mount hood one was, was a great example of that um to our knowledge uh at the time uh it, you know we we didn't know if it had ever been done but we did some research and it didn't appear that it had been done um people have since uh reached out to us and said that it had been done regardless uh we went into it with the mentality that uh it was going to be really hard but but uh but manageable and it ended up being a lot harder than we thought um, It was, you know, the climb up hood was pretty straightforward. Uh, the ski down was kind of tricky. We didn't really film a lot of this part, but this, the, you know, the, the snow from the summit was really, uh, really pretty treacherous. It was just icy and sun cupped and, and just really, uh, really bad. Um, so we kind of, we didn't even ski that we, we skied from, uh, you know, a couple hundred feet below the summit and, uh, the run around the timberline trail, uh, was just really dry and hot and, uh, just seemingly took forever. I mean, it's 38 miles, I think around the timberline trail, something like that, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little longer at 40 miles. Um, and, uh, and it just, we, we were filming it as well. So we were running a lot of these sections over and over again and uh you know we would catch catch up with the film crew and they'd be like oh this is a great scene like let's run this and so they'd be like okay go back let's do it again let's do it again and so we're going back and forth and we're running laps and at first early on in the trail it was fine but then by mile you know at that point including the climb we were close to mile you know 45 and you know at the end of the day there's this one shot that uh that made the final cut that's really beautiful of uh, us sort of coming around this corner, uh, with the sunset and, and Mount hood, um, Mount hood in the background, it was a drone shot. And we had to wait there for like, you know, an hour and 20 minutes or something while everything got set up and we shot it. And I think, you know, that, that really is what makes outings like that challenging. Cause when you're on your feet for that long, like you just want to get it done, you know, you want to just, you want to get it done and and you find these little sort of rhythms uh to kind of ride for as long as you can um and sort of tune out but uh as soon as you like have that interrupted by filming or something like that it's harder to get back into it um so uh by the time night fell on the timberline trail both jason and i were totally delirious and uh and both hallucinating um i at one point saw a uh, a a basketball hoop like in the in in the middle of nowhere in the forest uh and and he he saw stuff at one point like we were on this like like there was like some downed trees and like we, we were off trail like walking on this log suspended up in the air and I wasn't sure if it was real or fake and it was just all all very trippy by the end of it um and uh was uh, totally a full value experience that uh, was harder than both Jason or I thought it would be.
1: Wow. That, that sounds intense and, and maddening. That'd be infuriating, but you got to get the shot. So, I mean, it's, you got to get, what, the that's, shot. What, that's what makes yeah. it work. That's what we're out there for. And it's
0: unique. And that's what makes kind of the show unique is like you're able to do this whole thing and film it. And that's, that's part of the challenge.
1: Right now. I want to veer off the trail just for a second? Because I saw that you had some interaction with uh, Alex Guerrero. Yeah, when, when you yeah. were rehabbing from an injury. And for those of you who don't know out there, who aren't uh, loyal Tom Brady followers, Alex Guerrero is Tom Brady's uh, personal trainer, uh, advisor. Um, make sure that he stays healthy well into his forties. And so, how did how did that all transpire? And did you get to meet Tom Brady?
0: I did. I, I, I have met Tom. I, um, was really lucky in a lot of ways. I, I, uh, well first off, I was very unlucky in a lot of ways, which ultimately led me to being lucky in a lot of ways. I, I had, uh, first broke my calcaneus, uh, my heel in a climbing fall. I, I don't remember the year now. I want to say it was maybe 2016, something like that. Um, I just come back from a race in Europe and I was transitioning to climbing from running, which is always an interesting sort of training transition. You, you go from, uh, you know, not really doing any sort of strength training uh, while you're running and you're training for races to, you know, trying to be strong uh, with your upper body. And uh, I fell, broke my heel. Uh, it was pretty bad. Uh, it, was, it was really, really crushed and had surgery. And the doctor told me, you know, uh, don't, don't expect to ever be able to perform at the level you'd grown accustomed to, you know, your, things are going to change and you got to sort of accept that. And, and I was really pretty bummed out. We were just getting the show off the ground and like we were, or, or starting to talk about getting the show off the ground. And we were, uh, you know, I had all these trips planned and I was just, things were just looking up for me and, uh, had a friend who was a lawyer for the Patriots. And she reached out to me when I posted on Instagram about, about my injury and, and, and said that I need to go talk to Alex. And I had heard of Alex, you know, just through the Boston sports media um, Mm -hmm. world. And, and uh, you know, I was initially sort of skeptical, like every, like anyone would be, um, you know, that, uh, you know, I'm always sort of skeptical of any, any, one who claims that someone else can, you know, heal, heal everything or fix everything. It's like, I kind of felt like I had seen enough and known enough that like, you know, there, there was only so much that I could do. Um, But I went and I met Alex and uh, he sort of took me under his wing. We, we, we hit it off and, and uh, he's a really, he's a really great guy Um, and just like I said, just kind of, I was his sort of personal project with my heel. Um, and, uh, and he got me, you know, walking, uh, ahead of schedule. He got me basically, uh, you know, uh, I, I think I, I think I did a, a nice climb in New Hampshire uh, three, exactly three months after I broke my heel, a, a pretty technical ice climb called uh, it's called the black dyke on, on Ken cliffs in, in New Hampshire. I, I did it with Jason and you know, that by three months, I was basically, according to my doctors, maybe going to be able to start weight bearing. And I, and I had already done this, uh, this great climb. So I, you know, Alex then has since helped me through, uh, two other injuries and I've become really good friends with him. And, and, uh, he's, he'll, he's someone that I'll always be really indebted to, uh, you know, for his help with, with rehabbing me. And, and it's, it's, uh, you know, he, he's got a, it's not a particularly, it's not overly, you know, uh, uh it's not necessarily an, an, totally innovative, his method. Um, but, you know it 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 works you know he's he's uh he uh, i think at a high level feels very strongly that you know everything's connected so uh you know your nutrition your hydration your sleep all of that stuff is going to play a massive factor in your ability to recover and then also m- most importantly is he is really uh against um you know our sort of tendency to immobilize injuries is what he thinks ultimately leads to more complications down the road, um, which kind of makes sense if you think about it. If you immobilize an area, it gets weaker. You know, the tissue gets stiffer, and that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, as soon as your, as soon as all wounds are healed, he, you know, he is, uh, you know, uh, he start, he would start sort of moving and manipulating. Uh, the muscles around an injury to make sure that that tissue could stay soft and pliable, and and uh, uh, so that as soon as the injury, you know, started to heal, all of you know, you wouldn't have this whole sort of you know, uh, whole whole issue of secondary effects as a result of the immobilization, which I think ultimately really led to to speeding up all of my, all of the recoveries from all the injuries that I've had over the years.
1: Well, what a, what a perfect advertisement for him with uh, your, your rehab, your success. And of course the work he's done with, with Tom Brady, it's obviously working.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's working. I think, I think uh, (laughs) he's figured something out and, 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 uh, and he deserves all the, all the success he's been
1: having lately. Nice. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear about uh, one more episode from, beat monday about uh, the summiting of of two very high mountains in two very different locations so stay tuned for that we'll be right back
0: this is mike chambers host of beat monday on outside tv and you're listening to the john Frickin muir podcast
1: Welcome back. Hey, I was really intrigued about uh, this next episode we're going to talk about where you summited Shasta and Whitney in the same weekend. And those are in two very different locations. They're both in the state of California, but they're on, maybe not the the opposite ends, but there's a fair distance of travel between uh, those two summits. How do you do do those in a single weekend? Yeah, that was... uh... I would say probably the most fun trip of, uh,
0: the summer of 2019. That was, uh, basically idea came from a friend of ours in Boulder. Uh, and then he gave us the idea and then he couldn't make it of course. And, um, basically we, uh, decided that we were going to link up these two mountains. There was really no rhyme or reason to it. Just that they were two of the 50, uh, they were two mountains on the 50 classic ski descent, uh, lists and we figured it'd be kind of cool to see if we could link them up in a weekend so we flew in uh drove out to shasta we rented a, a van there were seven of us drove out to to shasta um resisted the urge to just start climbing right away because we were all just so excited at the, you know with the mission uh, got a little sleep at the at the trailhead and uh we just had perfect weather this that weekend i mean it was just so good everything from the snow conditions to the weather attempts and then we just had a really great group of guys we had you know there were seven of us uh including our our cameraman thomas woodson um and uh it was just a really great dynamic some really strong uh great skiers from colorado who uh some of the shots they you know they're in some of the shots uh some of the ski shots there um and we uh uh summited uh, Shasta pretty fast I mean the most of the guys uh, in that crew were all sort of ski mountaineer ski mountaineers and and skimo racers, so they were pretty fit, so we made it up uh, pretty quickly and uh, we skied down I'm trying to remember the route that we skied down um, you know it's so it 's funny I, a lot of this i, I a lot of this, a lot of these trips sort of merge into one, and and I I, I can't even remember the name of it, but it's the one, it's the route uh, that's on the fifty classics list. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the drive down uh, to Whitney, you know, as soon as we got down, we sort of mobilized real quick, got everyone in the in the van, started driving, and that was a, a a a crux for us all for sure. So we were all pretty tired after having climb shasta and and uh had to switch off driving uh somehow i never had to drive and neither did jason which was actually uh pretty good for us so i think you know we basically no one wanted to stop so when someone would get in the driver's seat they would just drive until we needed gas basically Mm -hmm. um and uh made it down to whitney how how
1: did that how did that van smell
0: it was horrible it was horrible it was really bad. I mean, you had, yeah, you had seven guys with had just sweat with their stinky ski boot liners and just old gear. And yeah, it was pretty bad. And then of course, like, you know, the, 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 the quality of our nutrition on that trip was, was uh, definitely um, not great. We, we all were kind of eating pizza and gas, you know, gas station food. And so that just leads to its own, own slew of problems mm-hmm. as you can imagine um yeah the van was definitely uh pretty smelly <laughs> so uh we get down there and uh didn't really have a plan for where to stay or anything you know we had to get a couple hours of sleep before we blasted off because you gotta the trick is to time you know the snow softening so you can ski it um and uh just kind of slept in the parking lot for like two hours or something like that not even and uh, and then blasted off and we had like a little bit of a snafu early on on the climb of Whitney we basically <laughs> we had this really big river crossing and at that by that at that time we were still in our sneakers and we, were, we hadn't transitioned to our boots yet and the river crossing was in my eyes, not worth it to get to the other side of the river. It was like the chances of someone falling in and getting wet. Like, you know, it just, it just was like, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't dangerous or anything like that. I just, we, myself and three of my friends thought, uh, three of the guys thought that we could find a better way around, but we made that decision (laughs) after, uh, three of the guys, Jason, Eric, and, 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 uh, and uh and ross had already made it across and so we ended up uh being very wrong uh with that decision we we tried to find a way around we ended up like having to climb this really big slab uh to avoid this really thick bush and i don't know if you've ever done any spring ski mountaineering but trying to get trying to bushwhack with you know skis sticking off your back is really hard you can't Uh, you can't really be light. You can't be sort of nimble and and work your way through these bushes. You got to just sort of bulldoze through them. Um, and it ended up taking us, the, the guys were waiting for us for probably 45 minutes by the time we intersected with them, which almost ruined our chances of, um, of being able to complete it in a day. Uh, but anyways, we made, we made up time later on in the mountain got up to the summit of, uh, uh, summit of Whitney via the mountaineers route and skied the same route down. And, um, it was just, uh, like I said, ski conditions were great. Group Mm -hmm. dynamic was great. And it was just a really fun, memorable trip that on paper didn't necessarily make sense, but was, uh, you know, creative and unique and, and, and fun for all those reasons.
1: Right. So for the first ascent up up at Shasta, how, how, how long did that take?
0: Oh man, time wise, I
1: I would have to look at my Strava.
0: I don't I don't I don't remember. It was pretty quick though. Um, I yeah I can't recall off the top of my head.
1: Okay, and how long was the van ride? Van ride was nine hours. Nine hours, and then the
0: up and down Whitney. It was, uh, again, it, that, that was longer than Shasta, but, but, uh, it was also pretty quick. So I, it was all within 24 hours. Uh, I think we did it in like 22 hours or something like that. That's uh, inc- all of it. That's so, incredible. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. Cause funnily enough, like that wasn't really the attention uh, intention. We weren't really trying to do it in a day. We're trying to do it in a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it just sort of worked out that way.
1: Right, and did I did I am I remembering correctly that you also had uh, some hallucinations uh, near the top of Whitney?
0: Uh, I don't think I had any hallucinations on that one. Okay, um,
1: I thought I, I saw something about I, uh, maybe almost again in that that kind of sleep state and lizards, and maybe I'm thinking of something else.
0: No, I think that one was fine. I was. I was in pretty good shape on that one. I, I had, I had just come off uh, a Denali expedition and uh, that I had trained really hard for and, and I was in pretty good shape for that one. So I don't think I had, I think, I didn't think I have any hallucinations there, but I definitely was sleep deprived as we all were. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, you're kind of the, the tough part. If you're moving, you can sort of navigate through the sleep deprivation. That's not a big, big deal the sitting in the van is what made it really hard. And like, you know, you weren't really able to get comfortable enough to nap between the, uh, questionable playlist choices that some guys were making Mm -hmm. and the smell of the van. There wasn't really any sleep happening. I can imagine that sounds awesome. (laughs) Exactly. It was, it was (laughs) great. It was a really good trip. It was, I recommend it, uh, to anyone who is psyched on these sorts of things that, Seems kind of arbitrary, but it's really fun. I mean, you bake in a road trip with your friends and you climb to classic mountains in, in the Sierras.
1: Epic. Simply epic. Hey, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, your work and your wife's work with flying kites in Kenya. Uh, yep. But you also have another nonprofit called Summits Education. What's that about?
0: Yeah, so uh, after the 2014 Everest expedition, um, and the avalanche and, and all sort of the, the sort of turmoil of those couple of years, I decided I wanted to take a little bit of a break from, uh, sort of the international, the expeditions and sink myself into something different and, uh, had a friend, I was just sort of trying to figure out what I was going to, you know, we were still running the organization in Kenya. Um, I was looking for, you know, something, something else. My, my wife sort of had things pretty well under control there. And I had a friend who, um, was an entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur who uh, had been a big philanthropist down in Haiti for many years who, uh, had reached out to me. His name's, his name's Paul English. And, um, he was uh, going down to Haiti and was interested in doing something in education in Haiti, similar to what we were doing in Kenya and asked me if I would join him on a trip. And, uh, literally like the next day he was like do you want to go to Haiti tomorrow and i was like yeah sure why not you know i was sort of uh like i said sort of open to ideas and i always try and say yes to invitations if if time allows and uh cuz you never know where they lead so anyways i went down to Haiti with him and uh funnily enough the author tracy kidder who was writing a book on paul at the time and and um had had previously written a book uh, called Mountains Beyond Mountains that was a big inspiration for me um, uh, to get into this type of work, and so it was a really special trip for me to be down there with him and, and Paul and and uh, make a long story short, um, we sort of uh, ended up going back down to Haiti probably five or six times over the course of the next couple months, and just doing a lot of research and listening and. And we were basically, uh, contemplating initially to build this, um, college prep school in this, this high school in this one area, um, of Haiti that, uh, is sort of, uh, it's called Mirabalais, the central plateau. It's, uh, an area that the organization partners in health had been doing a lot of work in and had a, a, uh, a lot of issues with education. Um, but after going down there many times, we had learned that there was this existing network of 42 primary schools that had lost funding and uh, was basically on the brink of collapse. And so it was this like really interesting moment for us. You know, here we are with this idea that we have with this support, with this financial backing. Um, and we're about to sort of move forward with this in the face of like, so much need in this existing system. And it sort of felt like we were kind of falling into this same trap of bad development that was, you know, plaguing Haiti for so long. You know, the the person from the States coming in with their idea and their money and like doing their own thing and not sort of listening to what was happening on the ground. And so we pivoted, we uh, pivoted and essentially adopted a network of 42 schools uh, serving Uh, 10,000 students and employing about 370 teachers. And we built an organization around it. Uh, um, uh, So I was the executive director of that organization for about three years. And basically, sort of my commitment to Paul was that I was going to put in place, uh, you know, all the structures and mechanisms necessary to uh, be able to fund something like this long term. Um, to get the government on board, to get the institutional funders, the the the, you know, the USAIDs, the foundations, all this stuff on board, um, and to just you know essentially build an organization around this, um, have some sort of you know financial stability, and then I was going to hand it off to another executive director, and and that's that's essentially what I did. I, I was there for three years. Uh, we were able to raise somewhere in the neighborhood of. I think about $8 million over the course of those three years, which was, which was great. Um, we had, you know, incredible support from various foundations like the Kellogg foundation and Digicel foundation, USAID and, and the ministry of Haiti, a ministry of education in Haiti. And, um, you know, ultimately the, the goal with that organization was, can we, uh, you know, a lot of what happens with education in places like Haiti is, you sort of have a bunch of organizations uh, working in countries like that in education, for instance, and they're all doing sort of a slight variation of the same thing, but everyone's sort of competing for funding and no one's really talking to one another. And so the idea was like, not, can, can we, at the same time as we create a model for education within this network of 42 primary schools, can we also create a model for collaboration amongst existing nonprofits and Uh, and funders so that we're being less wasteful with resources so we don't have 20 organizations doing teacher training the same exact thing uh and everyone with their own overhead and everyone trying to you know uh improve the quality of of teacher you know teacher efficiency in places like you know rural haiti um we, we sort of have one who we're all supporting and we're all focused on and we're all working with, uh, you know, and, and so, and so the, the work still continues. Yeah, uh, I'm no longer involved as a, you know, as a, an executive director. Um, but, um, yeah, the thing, you know, the work continues down there and it's, it was, a uh, it was a really special time for me. It was really challenging in a lot of ways. I think, you know, the hardest part was, with my wife working in, in Kenya and myself working in Haiti and myself being in Haiti, you know, up to two weeks a month for multiple years in a row, it was, uh, it was really, you know, when, when my wife and I were starting to talk, starting to talk about having a family, it was just definitely not compatible with, uh, with that. So it made sense for me to move on. Um, but I definitely miss aspects of it, you know, um, and it taught me a lot of lessons for sure.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, for all you've done. I think if we had, if we had a hundred more Mike Chambers in the world, we'll all be better off. So fantastic work. Thank you.
0: Thanks a lot, man. I, I appreciate it.
1: Well, Hey Mike, we're at that time of the episode where I'm going to turn to you and ask, what is your pro tip inside of the week?
0: Interesting. You got me here.
1: Um, so
0: I would say, you know, uh, as it relates to adventure, cause you know, this is the John freaking near podcast, right? That's right. So as it relates to adventure, I I'd like to just challenge people, uh, to just sort of think a little, think outside the box and get a little more creative with the way, um, you're planning your trips. I think it's easy for us to sort of, uh, it's easy for us to sort of fall into the same routine of like going to hike this one trail or, you know, going to do these other things. And that's all great and that's all good. But I promise you, if you kind of put a little time uh, into uh, the planning and and the idea phase of a trip, it makes it that much more fun. Um, You know, the the Hood Summit and Circumnavigation or the Picnic, you know, someone else had created that. But, you know, having all these sort of elements of unknown in a trip and uh, having them be new and unique and not necessarily having a guidebook to them is is ultimately what leads to the real adventure in my mind um you know if you if you know what to expect at every turn you're you're not really going to have that that feeling of adventure or, or you know you're not going to really uh you're not going to really have any spicy situations arise that that are memorable so um so i guess that would be it to to you know challenge yourself to think outside the box with with the way you're recreating in the outdoors and and uh
1: Yeah. And, and, and don't be too hindered by rules. Outstanding. Be creative in your adventuring. Don't be afraid to make those memories. That's what it's all about. Totally. Okay. So there you have it. That's it. Episode 30 is in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Mike and I want to thank him for joining us this week. Mike, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures?
0: Yeah, so you can hit me up on Instagram uh, at Mike underscore Chambers and, and uh, that's probably the best way to, to reach out to me and, and uh, like I said, we've got another season uh, of Beat Monday that we're going to start filming hopefully uh, next month here. Um, I got to get my, myself back to Colorado. Uh, I'm on the, I've been on the East Coast on the beach with my, friend, uh, with my family for the last couple of weeks, but I got to get myself back to Colorado so Jason and I can get, get back to filming. Um, and that'll be back on outside TV hopefully sometime, uh, you know, probably this winter. So look out
1: for that. And uh, yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're awesome. Thank you. Remember to check out uh, the John Freakin' mirror pod on social media as well. We're on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have any comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at John at gmail dot com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. That's a wrap from the John freaking Muir studio. Any final thoughts, Mike?
0: No, that's it. I hope everyone's uh, doing their best to stay sane during this pandemic and being kind to one another and and, uh, and finding some time to get
1: outside. <laughs> Great. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't care if your film crew wants to do the same shot over and over again for 45 minutes. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. <laughs> Miss. thursdays
0: with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment a life that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life
1: yeah baby 6 8 western i'll be old there baby right
0: there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv